You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 7th of February. The trade deadlines in the rearview mirror. The Jazz don't make a deal. We'll discuss that. What teams got better and worse according to points gained on this Friday? And we'll look at the Utah Jazz with Mike Conley. What's the impact of Conley being on the floor? Who's touching it less? Who's getting fewer opportunities? We'll look at all that coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice for the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Hope you're doing great. Kind of a wide, I don't know what your weather is. Crazy, crazy up here. Last week, you guys got crushed. We got no snow. And uh, now we're getting wind and stuff and Little Cottonwood Canyon's a disaster. That's right. It's not where I am, but uh, so kind of interesting how it all plays out. All right. So uh, I'll get to the trade deadline uh, for everybody else. We'll look at those. For those who just want jazz things, that's where we'll start today. So the jazz don't make another move. The question now is, is there a buyout market that opens up for the Jazz? That's a tough one for the Jazz. They're not. Um, quite frankly, we haven't been a place where a lot of people want to go to for buyout markets, right? It's not kind of, but we've got an interesting team. We might have some opportunities. Um, and you look around and try to figure out, well, who would be willing to be a buyout? So you've got to find a bad team. And I would say we're probably looking, you know, the concern at this point is, can the minivan and Tony Bradley handle playoff basketball? We, we just simply don't know uh, the answer to that question. And so though that, to me, is probably what the Jazz were looking at. Uh, George, I think, showed last year against the Rockets in a lot of ways. Whenever we start switching, going one-on-one, he goes back to his Iowa State scoring days. He's actually pretty darn good in that circumstance and shows and shows some ability. He's also a pretty good shooter, but teams will also try to see whether or not... I, I'm not convinced he's as bad defensively as, as everyone wants to make him out to be um, and try to look at him in that... You know, and try to... Teams will try to go after him. So, you know, Thaddeus Young wasn't moved out of Chicago. They're still in a playoff hope. I don't think they're about to release him. It doesn't sound like Tristan Thompson, nor do I think he would come to Utah, is going to be bought out. And so you start running down and you've got to find a bad team that's willing to buy someone out. So Markeith Morris, to me, is a little interesting uh, possibility in Detroit. They've obviously decided that they're... um, they're rebuilding in a pretty dramatic fashion. On the other end, like Seku uh, is going to be their starting power forward and Christian Wood, I guess, is their center, but they need someone to play. So Markeith Morris might be important, but or Markeith might, you know, work himself into a buyout um, of some sort. Minnesota's got too many players right now, uh, but I get, and so maybe James Johnson ends up as a buyout candidate, but I think he's got another year left on his deal, so that doesn't seem like a possibility. Um, he, you know, he was part of the whole deal that went through Memphis, and my understanding is he has another year on his deal, so that's not a buyout candidate. Uh, I doubt Bobby Portis gets bought out in New York. Sign-in trades are going to become more important uh, than they have been in the past because there's so little free agent money, so a lot of these players that are going to be free agents next year are the vehicle by which teams who don't have money are going to be able to go get their money. 
Um, I don't. I didn't see anybody on Phoenix's roster that I think's a buyout. San Antonio, Toronto are close. Washington, um, unless they buy out Jan Mahimi, but I'm not sure that Jan Mahimi makes a difference. So the buyout market to me is pretty thin. When I went through it, Detroit and and the other Morris is maybe the only one. Markeith Morris uh, that interested. Maybe there's always going to be a surprise somewhere where someone has to release somebody. But frankly, it looks to me as though this is the team the Jazz will have moving forward uh, for the playoffs. Which probably now allows, you know, whatever, if there, if there were any sideshows or influences that were impacting our players, like that's over. So get over it. Now, now let's go play, right? Like I think that's that's what happens after the trade deadline is guy zero. Now why didn't the Jazz make another move? They already made the Jordan Clarkson move. They're 14 and 6. Since acquiring Clarkson, they're the number one offense in the NBA since acquiring Clarkson. They really just didn't have the pieces, right? Ed Davis has another year on his deal, so it's not giving anyone cap space. Um, And Emmanuel Moutier would be the other minimum player. The other one is, frankly, of all the players that jumped around and moved, we talked about it. Like, So Alex Len moved and Noah Vonley moved. And I'm just not convinced that those guys are dramatically better than... Tony Bradley or Ed Davis, and you're going to have to give up something to get them, uh, and Tony's younger, and I'm not convinced that, you know, Emmanuel Moutier has the ability to fill in for if any of our wing players get injured, Emmanuel Moutier can step in and play better than probably any million-dollar player that's out there. So uh, that seems to be the clear kind of reason for me why the Jazz stood pat where they are right now and uh, what's going to take place. All right, let's talk about... um, The impact of Mike Conley. Now, I'm not, let me just be clear. I think Mike's playing pretty well. Um, That's our team. If we're going to be good, it's going to involve Mike Conley. Uh, I think starting Mike Conley was the right move. He's Mike Conley. Uh, Our backcourt's small. That's real, okay? So we're six feet, six one in the backcourt. That's real. We got to figure that out. So here's just pure touches. Mike Conley gets, in the last two games, as a starter, gets 82 touches a game. He touches the ball 82 times. So those, in theory, have to come from somewhere. Surprisingly, they're not coming from a lot of places. When In the games where Mike Conley didn't play, the 20-game stretch, and actually, if I'm really honest about this, is 19 of 20, includes 20 minutes of him playing. Donovan Mitchell got 74 touches a game. In the last two games, he's had 75. No impact. Bogdanovich, 44 touches. In the last, in, without Mike Conley in those 20 games, 44 touches in the last two. Royce O'Neal, 44 and 40. Jordan Clarkson's actually down four, 33 to 29. And George Niang, for whatever weird reasons, up three. The guy who's impacted on pure touches is Joe Ingles. He goes from 66 touches a game to 52 touches a game in the last two games. Since Mike Conley's been back, he's at 59. So 66 without Mike Conley, 59, 52. Now, a better number is front court touches. So these are touches when you actually, you know, it's not just bringing the ball. But what you're seeing there is Joe used to get get the outlet and bring the ball up the floor, and now Joe's running up the floor. And I think psychologically, you don't feel as engaged at that point. Okay, front court touches. Opportunities to make a play. Donovan Mitchell, without Mike Conley for those 20 games, 31. Last two games, 30. No impact. Rudy Gobert. 38 without Mike Conley, 37 the last two, and 37 since Mike Conley's come back. No impact. Boyan Bogdanovich, 
37 without Mike Conley. 35 since Mike Conley's been starting. 36 since Mike Conley's come back. Almost no impact. Royce O'Neal, 24 without Mike Conley. Move is out to the starting lineup. Still 22.5. Clarkson, 21 to 21. And George Niang, 13 to 15. So we get to Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles, 34 touches in the front court in the last two games. 36 without Mike Conley in the 20 games he's missing. Almost no difference there, everybody. Almost no difference on anyone. Mitchell, 31 to 30. Gobert, 37 to 38. Ingles, 36 to 34. Bogdanovich, 37 to 35. O'Neal, 24 to 23. Clarkson, 21 to 21. And Niang, 14 to 15. Almost no difference. How you're getting them, when they're coming, maybe a little different. Actual touches, no different. Time of possession. Over the course of a game. Mike Conley has the ball for five point, I think it's 5.6 seconds. No, it's got to be 5.6 minutes over the course of a game. Donovan went, has gone from 7.1 to 5.8. Okay, that's a change. Donovan was at 7.1 without Mike Conley, 6.1 since Mike's come back, and 5.8. So he's not playing point guard. Gobert's are the exact same. Joe's are pretty significant. Joe's went from handling the ball four minutes of the game down to 2.3 minutes a game. So while Joe is getting the same front court touches, there are different touches where he does not handle the ball for as long a period of time. I'll get to that in a second. Bogdanovich, virtually the same. 1.9 with Conley out for those 20 games. 1.8 since Conley's been back. 1.6 in the last two. Clarkson is really interesting because Clarkson has not been passing very much. His assist rate is 4.5% in the five-game losing streak, and our offense has been terrible when he's on the floor, despite the fact that his numbers are great. Right now, Jordan Clarkson might be venturing into the classic line about there's four chances of what can happen here. One is, I don't know if everybody remembers this story. One is, uh, there's an NBA player who sat down with the assistant coach, young player, and the assistant coach says to him, hey, there's four things that can happen to give a night. You can play well and the team can play well. You can play well and the team can play badly. You can play badly and the team can play well. You can play badly and the team can play badly. We really only care about, I think he said it in the way that the first two were the team playing well. And the young player looks at him and goes, Coach, I don't understand at all how I could play well and the team could play badly. It's a little bit of where we might be with Jordan Clarkson right now, where he's playing well, but the team's playing badly with him because there's not enough other involvement. So let's see if he can start pinging the ball back around the floor. So time of possession. Clarkson's gone from two minutes a game to 1.3 now that he's back. Um, or we're playing a little fat, getting him out. Niang is the same. The last metric on this is seconds per touch, and I'll have that for you in a second, and then we'll use points gain to break down a bunch of the trade deadline and then look at some of the players uh, in the league. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai at 4646 South State Street. I'm driving the Palisade. It is terrific. Actually, I had a nice night. I went out for dinner with two great people last night, and I had to pick them up, and I picked them up actually in my son's Santa Fe. Um, I actually drive kind of the beater car in the house, so I decided that, um, and there aren't snow tires on the Palisade, and it was a blizzard, so I took my son Santa Fe. I thought it was interesting, like, I'm picking up two people that are kind of high, you know, flute important people that I really like and want to, you know, want to look good, and yet i totally comfortable, like, rolling in in the Santa Fe, because it's a comfortable car, you've got enough room, you feel good inside, loved it. Uh, the Palisades, the nicer, bigger version of it. The Tucson and the Kona are the other SUVs. Stop by Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street in Murray. Also located in Linden and in Logan. And before you go, email me, and then we'll set up who you're going to see, whether it's Jason Creech over in Murray or 
uh, see one of the Aiken boys down in Linden, uh, whoever it is that's set up the right for uh, for you to be able to say hi and get you set up. So when you walk in the door, you get the VIP treatment. Go check it out. Murdoch Hyundai. Email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. I think I've mentioned this a few times. I've kind of started to get into meditation. I use the call map. Um, I've tried it. I think it's good, actually. It helped me the other day. I was sitting at Shoot Around and trying to focus a little bit more on Shoot Around, uh, what was taking place, and use the meditation techniques that I used. I didn't do it this morning because I got, had to get my daughter out. So it's, I kind of sit down. First thing right now I'm doing, there's a 21-day how to meditate on calm, and then I also do the daily calm, so I do back, two of them back-to-back. Uh, LeBron James and Calm have matched up together uh, to help out with mental fitness. Calm's the number one sleep and meditation app. They've teamed up uh, with LeBron to train your brain, so there's a LeBron James uh, element in there. LeBron, obviously, big into his sleep for his mental fitness. You can go to calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. You get 40% off the Calm Premium Membership. They also have nature scenes for you so that you can lo- uh, hear those as you're sleeping. Uh, LeBron is a rain and leaves guy, evidently. So go to calm.com slash locked on NBA. Get a 40% discount. Uh, I've done the 21 days of calm, the seven days of stress, I think. Um, so they have these good, fun little series. You can try it and learn meditation a little bit, something new. Calm.com slash locked on NBA. All right, the last one on the Mike Conley influence here is... I think what's interesting is seconds per touch. So Mike Conley is at 4.1 seconds per touch, and he actually has been down the last two games than what he was in the previous game since his return. And this is where you begin to see kind of what the tangible impact of Mike being back is. Again, Mike being back does not have to be bad. It's just different. It means we're different. Uh, And right now it means we're not winning, but I don't know that that means that forever, and I'm not sure that I think I put that on Mike. Uh, particularly because the defense was atrocious until the last game. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, 5.7 seconds per touch when Mike Conley's not playing because he's playing point guard. Down a second. So now he's at 4.7. Still playing point guard tonight. Gobert is the exact same. Joe Ingles, go, which is, here's what's really interesting. Joe Ingles was at 3.6. Since Mike Conley's returned, he's at 3.6. The last two, he's at 2.6. So, in the last two games, he's touching the ball for a second less. And we go back to, like, he's down. Really what he's down is he's down 14 backcourt touches a game, and he's down bringing the ball up the floor and initiating the offense. That's what Joe's down. He did a brilliant job the other night of pushing the tempo, getting out in front, playing it fast. It was the best I've ever seen out of him. The rest of the time, there's a bunch of times where you see him and he runs down the floor and he goes to the corner now, and he doesn't touch the ball for a few possessions. And frankly, that's what he's going to do. So, you know, he's got to figure that out. But you can understand that it's different. Bogdanovich is down a tiny bit, but about the same. O'Neal's down a tiny bit. Clarkson's down, again, a full second of points of per touch. So there's a little bit, seemingly, maybe of a tiny bit of a tug-of-war um, going on and just how everyone's going to feel comfortable. It's just, you know, if you watch us, it's different. Mike's bringing the ball up the floor, and he wasn't the guy bringing the ball up the floor before. Um, Defensively, if you look at our five-game losing streak, there are three players that are below average defensively in that time period. And then if you look at us offensively, um, the interesting one was what I mentioned about Jordan Clarkson, that um, in the last five games, uh, Jordan Clarkson is averaging 19 points, shooting 52% from the field, 49% from three, 
and he's got a 4.5 assist rate, which is incredibly low, and the offense is a 98.9 when he's been on the floor. Everyone else is a 104.5 or better. Defensively in the last five games, our rating's not good. It's a 116.7. The three players that are below average are Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Tony Bradley. That's surprising. We think of Royce as our best defensive player. And then Joe, who's averaging five points and six assists on 33% shooting and 25% from three, is actually our best plus-minus player over the last five games. All of those are small sample size. All of those might be ridiculous, but they're at least worth mentioning. The other issue, by the way, and our offense, frankly, has, as I said, has been fine. Okay? It's, you know, if you want to look at our five-game losing streak and isolate it and what's going on with it, it's it's a defensive issue. The offense has been, over the last, well, it's not been fine. Over the last five games, the offense is at a 108, um, which is a little bit below league average in like 24th in the league. And the defense is a 116.7, which is 23rd. So I guess, frankly, now that after you add the last game, and let me correct myself and say they've been both equally poor um, in the last stretch of games. Part of it on the offensive side is guys, some guys are just not making shots. Now, is that because, you know, Mike Conley's back, so we're going to blame Mike Conley for the fact that Donovan in the last five games is shooting 29% from three, that George Niang is shooting 25, that Joe Ingles is shooting 25, that Royce O'Neal is shooting 27. Like, at some point, that's just guys aren't making shots. Mike Conley's shooting 42% from three. In the case of Joe and George and, and Royce, they were all kind of unusually hot there for a little while. They've come back to life probably more than we'd expect them to. And that's part of what's taking place for us offensively is that these guys, as good as they are, are not going to shoot 50% for the, quite for the extended period of time um, that they were earlier. Um, you know, if you look at since Jordan Clarkson's joined the team, you end up with pretty good numbers from a lot of those different guys. And that's what's been able to carry us through that stretch is that, you know, since December 24th, when we got Jordan Clarkson, this team is, uh, I think, still the number one offensive team in the league. I'm now I'm now getting nervous about that because the last two offensive games have been so bad. But if you look at the numbers overall, Donovan's at 38% from three, Boyan's at 40, Clarkson's at 37, Joe's at 44, George Niang's at 44, Royce O'Neal's at 38. That's kind of what those guys are. Like, that. that's a larger sample size, and that's right. It just happens to be they were all hovering at 50 there for a while, and they've come back to life, which sucks. But everything, there is a reality that things regress to the mean in this business because guys are who they are, and they don't actually transform into somebody completely different um, at any point along the way. Let me just review for you. Since the trade, the Jazz are 14-6. and six. Their offense is number one in the NBA by 3.6 points per game, and the defense is since the trade is 13th in the NBA and our differential is second best in the NBA to Milwaukee. So while it feels catastrophically bad right now, having lost five in a row, the bigger picture with a balanced schedule over that stretch now is yes, we have not beat any of the good teams. It's a little concerning what our record is against above 500 teams, but we're the second best team differential wise since the trade We're the number one offense in the league and we're the number 13 defense. This is exactly what we thought we were going to be when the year started. We thought we'd be an elite offensive team. We're better than we thought with Clarkson. And then number two is we wondered what we would be defensively. Final thing on this, and then we'll get into points gained for all the trades. There's been a question that's been asked to me a bunch of times. Do we have too many offensive players? We actually don't. 
if you look at the numbers and you distribute the possessions, we come out on average to be about 103 possessions a night. That actually is what most teams are over the season. How can that be? We added Jordan Clarkson and got rid of Dante Exum. Uh, and we added Mike Conley, and we got rid of him. Emmanuel Moutier actually uses a decent amount of possessions, so Conley steps in there. Royce and George are not high possession users. Jeff Green was a very high possession user for his time on the floor. So replacing Jeff Green with George Niang opened up possessions that Jordan Clarkson could take, and then Mike Conley from Emmanuel Moutier. So it's not a dramatic impact on this roster. It's not the way Minnesota was a few years ago or Boston uh, was. Spa Via in Sandy answers all your Valentine's Day needs coming up next week. Answers just your great couple's day out needs if you might need that. Spa Via in Sandy at 104 South State Street. Their goal is to give you the elite spa experience that you'd get up at one of these great resorts up in Deer Valley or something for half the price, but the same experience. They've got a robust group for if you're into, if you want to get your wife body wraps or waxings or facials or things of that nature for Valentine's Day. They also have super couple massages and therapeutic massages as well as deep tissue and relaxation massages. You walk in, they've got a nice little area, then you go back into your waiting room to get your private experience before your masseuse comes and gets you and takes you into the back room to give you your massage and give you that great hour, hour and a half comforting experience as though you are just absolutely getting away from life and having a wonderful time. A special deal for Locked On Jazz listeners over at Spa Via. Buy two gift certificates, get a third one of equal value for free. So you buy two $50 gift certificates, you get the third one for free. You're getting $150 for $100. Pretty good deal uh, for you right there. So stop by Spa Via in Sandy, 104 South State Street. Uh, Tell them you're with Locked On Jazz. Get that deal. Get your wife uh, girlfriend, whoever you want to uh, take in care of with the Spa Via experience and find out uh, all the things they do to give you that elite level spa experience for half the price. Again, the deal, two gift cards, third one equal value. You can actually just pick up the phone and call them at 801-424-7566. That's 801-424-7566. All right, let's look at the trades that went down through points gained. So let's start first with the Warriors. D'Angelo Russell uh, for Andrew Wiggins' deal. Wiggins has been traditionally one of the worst, excuse me, points gained players in the NBA. One of the least efficient players in the NBA. I'm not a big believer that's going to change when he gets there. D'Angelo Russell, uh, this year is a negative 0.1, so he's about average. Andrew Wiggins was a minus 1.1 uh, player. Minnesota gets, you know, that's three that's three or four wins in a season for that. Points gained, if you're new to it, is the points a player scores with the scoring opportunities they use in a night compared to what an average player in the NBA does. Now, to Andrew, to the interesting part of this story with Andrew Wiggins, if we back up with Andrew Wiggins... If you didn't quite follow that, I'll explain it again here in a second. Andrew Wiggins, if you go back to the 16-17 season, had 22 scoring opportunities a night and scored .8 points less than an average player would with those scoring opportunities. And if you're new to this, the average player, about three players a year over three 
Anything over one is really significant and hard to overcome for your team. In 17-18, Andrew Wiggins in 18 scoring opportunities was minus 1.8 what average offensive players would do. Tyus Jones, average offensive player. If you put Tyus Jones on that team and Jeff Teague and you disperse the 18 possessions Andrew Wiggins used, they'd be 1.8 points better per night. A win is about three, a point is about three wins. They'd be five or six wins better. Last year, Andrew Wiggins was minus 2.5. This year, Andrew Wiggins is only minus 1.1. So it's actually trending um, in the right direction, but it's still, he is a significant minus offensive player. And so for that purpose, Minnesota did just got better, get better. They got rid of a less good offensive player for a better, and neither of them are very good uh, defensively. Houston adds Robert Covington. Robert Covington is a .3 pack player. .3. So, or excuse me, points game player. So that's fine. Um, he's above average. Actually, anything above, it's hard to be above average, so anything above average is good. Houston loses Clint Capella, who's a plus 1.4. Frankly, Clint Capella's 11 possessions a night, many of which are dunks. In theory, they're going to miss out on. Now, last night, Russell Westbrook got to the rim for half of his possessions. And the thing to watch here is as of trade deadline, Russell Westbrook's points gained. In his 25 scoring opportunities tonight, Russell Westbrook is a minus 1.9. So what will Russell Westbrook be what, now that they don't have a center and they've opened up the floor and allowed him to drive. Last night he scored 40 and looked pretty good. Eric Gordon is a minus 1.5 for the season. If those two suddenly turn the corner, then they can cover up for the 1.4 loss of Clint Capella. The Clippers traded Mo Harkless for Markeith Morris. Or, excuse me, Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris is a plus offensive player. That's pretty darn good. That's a big time influence. And you start to look at the Clippers and now you have Montrezl Harrell at one, Paul George at one, Kawhi at one, Landry Shaman at .8, Zubak at .8, Marcus Morris at .7. Mo Harkless was .2, so they get better, but Patrick Patterson was playing there was a zero. Jermichael Green was a minus .1. Patrick Beverly is a minus 0.2. Lou Williams is their only negative player. I've said it all year as much as we all love Lou. They have a Lou Williams problem that they will probably have to address um, at some point in the process. Lakers did not make any moves. Clippers, uh, Denver uh, went and got Jordan McRae, which was kind of an interesting, subtle little pickup at the end. Jordan McRae, though, is a minus one points gain player. So in... 12 scoring opportunities, jacking it up, shooting a lot. He is a minus point, minus one player. So I actually think that as much people have talked about that being kind of a crafty good move, I think it's a little bit of a problem for them. So keep an eye on that. I'm not sure he'll help them. They did, Malik Beasley was not playing much. He was a minus point eight. And Juan Herman Gomez was a minus point eight. So I've heard people say, well, Minnesota got, eh. You know, just because a player gets traded does not mean they suddenly got good. I think that's kind of the one thing that happens sometimes around trade deadline is that someone gets traded and then all of a sudden everybody decides that that player is actually good, which I don't always think is the right way uh, to look at it. So, all right, uh, of other uh, questions... Miami gets Andre Iguodala. They also get Jay Crowder, and they also get Solomon Hill. 
and everyone's going crazy for Miami. Well, this one's a little hard since Iguodala didn't play, but let's go to what Andre Iguodala was last year. Uh, he's had a year off and see what he does for Miami. So last year, Andre Iguodala offensively was a... Dun, 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 dun. Why didn't Andre Iguodala show up? There he is. 0.3 positive player while shooting just 33% from three. So he's an average offensive player. That's a, you know, again, that's good. Your goal is you have a really good offensive team. And if you can keep everybody on the floor to be above average, then you're really, really hard to beat. The problem for them, and we'll see how much these guys play, is they added Jay Crowder, who's a minus 1.1 points gained player in only 10 possessions a night. He's shooting 29% from the field and 37% from three. Everyone's talking about how they got Jay Crowder. I actually think Solomon Hill's a better player than Jay Crowder. Solomon Hill they got, he's shooting 38% from three, and he's an average points game player. So I would go with that Solomon Hill is the better matchup of those. They got rid of James Johnson, who... Um, and they got rid of Dion Waiters, neither of which were playing, so they weren't using a ton of possessions. But that's and they got rid of Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow is a minus three point one points game player. Well, he's only played eleven games, Locke, so that's not un, that's not fair. All right, then let's continue. Let's go to last year with Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow last year was a minus one point one points game player. Oh, but Locke, you got to give him time. Okay. Then let's go back to 17-18 with Justice Winslow. He was a minus .9. Justice Winslow is a super bad offensive player. His defense better be incredible. James Johnson is average, and they got rid of him, and Deion Waiters is a minus .6. Here's what's interesting about Miami if they play Solomon Hill instead of Jay Crowder. The goal to be a great offensive team and a great playoff team is to have all of your players be above average in points gained. Duncan Robinson, 1.9. Bam Adebayo, 1.4. Jimmy Butler, 1. Myers Leonard, 0.8. Kelly Olenek, 0.7. Goran Dragic, 0.6. Derek Jones, 0.5. Kendrick Nunn, minus 0.3 is... He can get that. And Tyler Hero is now their only negative player. That makes them a fairly interesting team. Uh, You're wondering... Why Milwaukee's so great? Here's the answer on Milwaukee, who did not make a deal. Their only negative player in their regular rotation is Brooke Lopez at minus 0.7. Otherwise, they have Giannis at 2.5, Middleton at 2.2, Hill at 1.8, and it goes on and on and on. All right, quickly, top five offensive players, top 10 offensive players in the league right now. Carl Anthony Towns, he of the 15-game losing streak with a defensive rating 15 points worse when he comes on the floor than when he goes off the floor. Uh, is the best offensive player in the NBA right now. James Harden is a 3.3. Number two, he's really slipped considerably recently. Dame Lillard is up to the third most impactful offensive player. We're kind of where we always are. We always have three players that are three or better. In other words, they create three points more than an average player on a given night. There's always three of them. Right now, it's Towns, Harden, and Lillard. And then there's about 10 players that are two or better, and here they are. Devin Booker at 2.9, which means him not making the all-star team is a travesty. Rudy Gobert at 2.9. Giannis Antetokounmpo at 2.5. Yes, by the way, I just told you that Rudy Gobert is the fifth most impactful offense player 
in just 11 scoring opportunities. Rashawn Holmes at 2.5. Anthony Davis at 2.4. Chris Middleton, 2.2. That's why the Bucks are unbeatable when you have two of the guys in here. John Collins in Atlanta, 2.1. Brendan Clark, incredible at Memphis, 2.1. Mo Wagner, who's played limited. J.J. Redick and Mitchell Robinson. You wonder why Philadelphia's offense is struggling because they're missing Mitchell Robinson. Bottom 10 points gained players in the NBA. Again, your scoring opportunities, if the if we disperse these possessions to an average offensive players, your team would be better. Right now, Victor Oladipo, because he only played four games. Justice Winslow, the lowest in the league, followed by Jordan Poole, R.J. Barrett, Karis LeVert, Jarrett Culver, the rookies always, Reggie Jackson, Alfred Payton, Dennis Smith, hardly has played 26 games, Theo Pinson in Brooklyn, Cam Reddish in Atlanta, the rookies, Dwayne Bacon, Russell Westbrook, Kobe White, Aaron Gordon. Golly. How does Orlando not do anything? And for all the talk of Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday's minus 1.6 as well. Who's the hottest player in the league? Dame Lillard. uh, Points gained is 6.3 over the last 10 games. That's insane. Quietly, Chris Middleton's doing the same thing. Chris Middleton's shooting 60% from the field and 62% from three over the last 10. Followed by John Collins, Bradley Beal, Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons... Glenn Robinson, who just got traded to Philadelphia. I didn't actually do that one for you. That actually might be a big pickup for them. Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, Doug McDermott in Indiana is on fire. Nerlens Noel is playing pretty well. JaVel McGee and then Boyan Bogdanovich of the Jazz. Who are the coldest players in the NBA as we wrap this one up? Could see Carmelo here. Let's see. Darius Garland at minus 3.6. Lou Williams really struggling. Minus 3.6. Karis LeVert. Carmelo Anthony, minus 3.1. Terrence Ross. Reggie Jackson, Ricky Rubio, Julius Randle, Sekou Dumbayo of Detroit, Alfred Payton, Jarrett Culver, Frank Nilakina, and Jordan Poole, followed by Miles Bridges of Cleveland. So kind of, and Shea Gilgis Alexander has suddenly slid into this and struggling a little bit. That is your Locked On Jazz today. Hope you had a great one. Thanks very much for tuning in. Have a wonderful day. Late game tonight. Doris is on the call on ESPN. You can hear Matt or Thurl, I don't know which one, with Craig today at 8.30 as well, and local, or you can just tune in to me and Ron as well. Have a great one. Thanks very much. Locked on NBA, all the trade breakdowns, Anthony and Adam are on it, so make sure you take tell your smart device right now. Play the most recent episode of podcast Locked on NBA.